they're going to read. All right. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of our prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength of God supplies, in order that is everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for today and thank you that we can all have the privilege to gather here today in your house. Please give us open minds and quiet hearts to receive what you have for us today so that we may best learn how to use our talents for your kingdom. Help us to be sensitive to where we need to improve in our lives and where we could be better every single day so that we can bring glory back to your kingdom. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Appreciate you guys very much for reading and praying. Uh, well, we are uh, continuing on in our series called Empowered, where really we're focusing on the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what, a, what an honor and a privilege it is to open up God's Word together. We get to do this once a week. We hope that you are doing it multiple times a week on your own, but here we are together in our gathering. Um, and so here's what we've covered so far in regards to this series on Empowered. We've talked about the spirit of power, which came at Pentecost. We talked about the spirit of life, that the Holy Spirit is actually the person of the Godhead who makes us alive together with him, that he's the person that's actively regenerating our hearts as we come to know Jesus. Uh, he then leads us into the truth as the spirit of truth. He then adopts us as his own, as the spirit of adoption. And then we talked about uh, the spirit of sanctification as well. Now, we've been all over the place and all over the scriptures. Today, uh, it, we will also be all over the place. First Peter 4, also, 1 Corinthians 12, if you're in our email list, I invited everyone to read 1 Corinthians 12 as kind of a, a priming of the pump for today because we will be going in both places. I want to remind you of how we have, remind, or how we have defined spiritual gifts in the past. Um, last, two years ago, I preached one, I've preached one sermon on spiritual gifts, um, and it was right before I went on an eight-week sabbatical in 2021. And I, I left everyone kind of with this idea of serve one another. But this is the definition we put before people in 2021. I want to reiterate it now in 23. It says this, so this is what we're saying. Spiritual gifts are an empowerment by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, which God has sovereignly and graciously given to individuals at conversion for the purpose of building up the church. Now, there's a lot in there that I can unpack. I'm not going to try and unpack all of it. 
Uh, but here's what we're calling this little mini-series within the series for these next four weeks as we unpack um, ultimately our spiritual gifts as, as far as understanding them and employing them for the building up of the church. We're calling it the spirit of generosity. And the reason why we're calling it the spirit of generosity is because God doesn't just come in and, and provide salvation for his people through dying on the cross. He didn't just then send his spirit to make us alive together with him. Uh, he didn't just send us then have the, the spirit remain in his people, dwell in his people to counsel, guide, convict along the way and comfort us along the way. He then empowers us to do all these crazy things, much less be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But also then he generously supplies us the power and the presence and the form of a spiritual gift for the very distinct purpose of building up the body of Christ. It is a generous God that we serve. He is rich in mercy. He doesn't just have a little bit of mercy for you. He has enough mercy to pour it out on you day by day. So much so that the Bible says his goodness and his mercy follows you. Like he doesn't just run out. There's no end to the vat of mercy that God pours out on us. So much so that it says he lavishes us with his love by his spirit in Ephesians 1. Are you seeing the generous God that we serve? He's not stingy. He's not lacking in resources. He is generous and he has plenty for whatever we need. And I don't know about you, but I need to hear that. I need to hear that when in our city, in our region, there are churches being, being just ravished ultimately by sin. Um, if you don't know this, um, and I'm not airing anybody's dirty laundry, they've sent out an email to tens of thousands of people probably who then shared it to tens of thousands of people. But just down the road, big, large church, right? Lead pastor, founding pastor, planting pastor, now it's starting to really hit home. He's just further along in the journey than me. He's in his 50s. I'm in my 40s. Really hitting home. That has disqualified himself from the office of pastor and the calling of pastoring people. He says it through an adulterous affair. Now bringing that up, not to dog on anyone. I think that, I feel like George Strait, like you know me better than that. That's not, not my desire. My desire is to say we're not better than anybody else. I'm not better than that person. He's not better than anybody else. 1 Corinthians 10 pretty, clear, pretty, pretty clearly states we need to be aware of the ways that we are being tempted and flee, it says, from idolatry. Because somewhere along the lines, and even he said it in his own uh, confession, in his own email, where he resigned, this is what happens when people try to live apart from God. And so what I want to do and here's, here's, here's really the heart behind what I'm doing. This is our introduction to our sermon and our little mini-series. But before just like going into any of that, I, I, I wanted to start with the why. I wanted to start with the why we need you. I think you all are here, and you all have admitted just by your presence that you need whoever's preaching to exercise their spiritual gift for your benefit. You're here because you know that. You didn't listen to it on a podcast because you realize I need more than just information. I need a body to belong to. If we need information, just stay home and watch Matt Chandler. He's better at this than me. 
But that's not what we need. We need formation. And we need to be in each other's lives. And in fact, Paul knew this from the get-go. And so I just want to uncover the why here. The why is that we acknowledge we need each other. And Paul did too. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says this. Come up on the screen, I think. Verse 15. Through 17 and then 21. He says, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. So just because you're a foot and you would prefer to be a hand and you go, well, I don't really belong there, it doesn't mean you don't belong. That doesn't erase the reality of interdependence as God has intended. He keeps going. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. No, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? You see this. Now he's, he's, he's propping up for us variety and diversity amongst the body of Christ. If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? And then in verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again to the head, to the feet, I have no need of you. I want you to hear it. The head cannot say it to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, I intentionally do not call myself the head pastor of a church because the head pastor of the church is Jesus. He's the head of the body. But I'm leading this particular local body, and I cannot say that I have no need of you. It would be treasonous against my king, and it would be treasonous against your king to act in such a way where we do not need one another. So I'm telling you this for a couple of reasons. One, I'm going to pray for a minute for pastors and the people that are hurting. There's a lot of people disoriented and hurting this morning down at 59 and 99. Thousands. And some of you have been walking through um, You've been walking through church hurt for a long time, and you've never healed. Because as soon as this happened, I, st- I reached out to another friend of mine who happens to be a female leader who walked away from the church and started to kind of just talk to her a little bit. She hasn't been in church for years because she also walks with some church hurt of a fallen leader in her church. They haven't been in church for years. Just began to remind her, you know God doesn't want that for you. You know he wants you back amongst the body. You have a lot to give to the body. We need one another. I want to pray for the pastors and the people that are hurting in just a moment. But the second reason I'm bringing this up uh, is because ultimately, um, I want us to make sure that we realize on the back end of COVID, it is not God's desire for us to remain isolated or to live independent. Some of us normalized that. And so much so to where like, where we were like three out of four attending neighborhood group, growth group, Sunday gathering, because we realized it was important for our spiritual health, we flipped it, and we only now only attend maybe one out of four. And we use good things, our kids, our schedules, our work, all good things, but not ultimate things, not the best. We are called to live interdependent lives, and no one is above needing the other. And so I just want to tell you right now, as a lead pastor of this church, I need you. 
I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for my family. You had better believe there is something going on in the churches in the Houston area when we are a part of a network called the Houston Church Planning Network, which intentionally exists to plant churches so that more people will know Jesus to push back darkness and brokenness in this entire region, which we're a part of. You think the enemy doesn't know that and just is going to sit idly by? No, we knew, we knew that when we stepped out to plant a new work with the Lord, that it also meant we were putting a target on our backs and our children's backs. So I need you to pray for us. As much as we pray for you, I need you to pray for us. I need you to pray for the elders of our church, Chris and Kobe. And yes, still Josue is an elder of our church, though he's not present on a Sunday gathering. He is present weekly in our meetings praying for you, still loving you through systems and care and advice and wisdom. I need you to pray for us, but also I need you to exercise your gifts. You guys remember David? Um, I'm not King David in this situation, but I'll just put it before you. Um, you remember David um, in the Old Testament when he, when he committed adultery with Bathsheba? And then he had Bathsheba's husband killed, like this is, this is King David. And he was going along his merry way until what happened? Someone who had a title, his name was Nathan, came and spoke the truth to David, and David saw the error of his ways and repented. And that man, Nathan, was known as a prophet. He had the gift of prophecy. And he came to speak truth to David so that David might find life that is truly life. Those at the top of God's people in the past have needed everyone around them to hold them accountable, to use their gifts, to pray for them, because we're all connected ligament to ligament, and we're connected to them too because we're all part of the body of Christ. So no one should be rejoicing for any sort of fall because it is an attack on you. It is an attack on Jesus' bride. I want us to understand this stuff is real. Like we're, we're meeting as elders on a regular basis and we're going through old books that we've gone through before with some others called Dangerous Calling. And I'm like, this stuff matters, y'all. As we get into each other's lives, it matters. Your life is on the line. So I want to just pause. I've never done this before in a sermon, but it's worthy of our time. To number one, acknowledge this. Number, number two, acknowledge, I, I'm, I'm weak and frail and I need you to pray. No one is above any of this. We are all tempted. It's all common to people. And what I'm asking you to do is to step in the gap, just like we step in the gap for you. As leaders amongst congregants, let's step in the gap for one another and pray. And let's now do that for our friends down the road, okay? Our Father, um, you are Father of us all. Though we have a little... Um, pen of sheep here at Bowie Middle School. There's a larger pen down the road of, of, of sheep that are confused, disoriented, um, and even probably more that are not showing up today in any particular gathering because they've been hurt in the past. And so they're, they're, they distrust the church. They love Jesus, but they don't love Jesus' bride. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would minister 
in only the way that you can, that you would bring comfort to those that need comfort. That you says, it says in 2 Corinthians 1 that you are the God of all comfort. So for pastors that are standing behind pulpits all throughout this area, particularly, yes, all across the world, but in particular, across this area, I know we are hurting. And if we're not hurting, something's wrong. Because we know that the body of Christ has been wounded this week, and yet we also know our hope has never been in man, but in the only one who's come to rescue us from such darkness and brokenness. So for all the people that have ever put, misplaced their hope in a man, a pastor, I pray that they would see that it is that, a misplaced hope. And that though they may deconstruct, they would reconstruct by your grace that you, O oh Jesus, are our only hope. I pray that for all of us that are living independent or have used whatever reason to be isolated or pull away from one another, I pray that this would be a great reminder to come back together, to acknowledge that we do have needs. And so for those that have been hurt or are hurting, Lord, I pray that you would you do what you do best, and that is restore what was lost. Purchase back from that who tried to get them, back from them, and bring it into your kingdom and under your reign. Whatever was lost, we know will be gained in you ultimately. We just pray it. We pray for healing. We pray for your presence. We pray for protection, Lord. For all of us that believe lies, and we all believe a lie on some level or another, I pray that the spirit of truth would lead us into the truth about ourselves, about you, and about one another. So for those churches that are hurting without a pastor this morning, all in our area, there's more than one, it's several. We really looked around, we could see it. Since COVID has happened, or right before COVID, there's been all sorts of fallenness, all sorts of brokenness. And I pray, Lord, that you would just stand against the enemy. The promise that we have is that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. They have the gates. We don't. And so, Lord, we stand by the power and the blood of Jesus and the presence of your Spirit, by the will of our Father, linked together, united together in this moment, standing and asking, Lord, that you would protect, provide, and ultimately lead us into green pastures. Even when it feels like a death, may we find no other comfort other than your presence and your provision. Heal us, O Lord, that we may return to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, now, that's like sermon number one. Sermon number two starts now, right? Let's take a, a, a moment to realize this. You are at this church because God wants you to be here. You believe that? Even if this isn't your home, even if you're checking it out, even if this is you're just a guest, God wanted you here on purpose. I know that because in Acts 17... It says this, and I'm reading it in the NIV. I think it should come up on the, on the screen. NIV on this one's a little bit easier to understand than the ESV. I know that because of this passage in Acts 17. From one man, he made every nation of men 
that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined, God determined, the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. Now, I get silly with this verse, but it is a great comfort to my soul every summer. When I look out my backyard and all I see is heat waves instead of a pool, then I say, oh yes, Lord, you have determined the exact places that I should live. And though I thought that I should live here, and though I thought I've missed the boat because I don't have a pool, you have determined the exact places that I should live. And that, that does bring a little bit of a healing balm to me. And yet, at the same time, I want you to understand God has determined when you should live. Like, you ever realize, like, you weren't born in medieval times? Like, what a terrible time to live. And yet, by God's grace, He has chosen you to live now. He's chosen you to be the generation that's gone through a pandemic. He's chosen you as the people in Fort Bend County that have survived multiple 800-year floods. He's, he's, in, he's, he's causing you to endure and, and creating strength in you through all these circumstances in this particular way with your history and your family. All the things that created you, you, God has determined. And then put you here in this place in this time with all them people. God has put you here now with these people. He must be up to something. If it's not an accident, if he's determined it on purpose, then there must be a reason here for what we're up to beyond just going through the motions. And so we just need to wake up a little bit and go, oh, dang, like, if that's true, if he has, has put me here with these people for this time, however long that time is, then I've got to start to figure out what it is that he's up to, if we haven't figured it out already. We have something unique. Friends, you have something unique and significant to give this community in this time with these people. There is nothing that isn't significant. Bringing the, the water jugs out here so that everybody else can be refreshed, that is a significant work for the kingdom. It's called showing hospitality. It's actually in the passage we read. Do you remember? Because we've gone through a little bit of a journey since we last read the scriptures. Verse 7, to the, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and so reminded for the sake of your prayers. If you're saying, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Number nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Oh, that set up and tear down is getting convicting now. There is nothing insignificant in the kingdom of heaven, especially in the local body. You have something to provide to this church. Whether you believe it or not, I'm here to tell you it's true. I love our partnership classes, and one of the reasons why I love it is because we usually ask the question, hey, why are you here? What are you excited about? What brought you here? And Kobe, one of our elders, usually says something like, you know what I'm most excited about? I'm most excited about to know your story and to see how you're going to change this body. He knows. He knows there's value in any particular person showing up, and we will change if we take advantage of it. So, if this is all true, then I, I want us to understand a few things. First, and I'll try to uh, run through these, although no guarantee, um, you have received a gift, at least one spiritual gift. 
Let me go back to that definition that we read in the beginning so that we can again remind ourselves spiritual gifts are an empowerment, an empowerment, a special empowerment by the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, which God has sovereignly and graciously given to the individuals at conversion for the purpose of building up the church. Now, if you're not a believer in this church, I will just say um, it is for believers that we're talking about. Um, and, and if you're not a believer, like this is part of what you're missing out on, is this particular, not just particular kind of love that God gives to his kids, but the particular kind of presence and comfort that he gives in the midst of trials, and the particular gifting and presence that he brings by his spirit. This is for believers, but the Bible also is for believers. So I would just implore you, if you're not a believer, like this is one more benefit that you're missing out on. And if you're a believer, look at the benefits that God's already given you. It says it right there, right? In verse 10, as each has received a gift, it's assumed language. But I want you to back up to verse 7. Did you see what happened in verse 7? You see what's motivating Peter to write this passage? The end of all things is at hand. You know, it was true for Peter as much as it's true for us. We didn't get further away from the end. We're closer to the end. And what is motivating Peter is that Jesus is coming soon, and he gave you talents, and he's wondering if you buried them in the ground because you think your master is wicked and goes and gets, gets things that he does not uh, have himself. I knew you were a hard man, and so I saved it for you, O oh Lord. And Jesus comes back to that particular one and says, away from me. We have been given a gift. It's a matter of what we're going to do with it. We'll talk about that in a moment. But I want you to understand first and foremost, you have been given a gift. Whether we, we know it or not, it is true. There are over 20 gifts specifically mentioned as spiritual gifts in the New Testament. I will read them off for you. I think I have like 20 at least. Uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, the gift of miracles, the gift of healings, which are different, the gift of service, the gift of administration. I'll talk about that one in a minute. The gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues, the gift of a word of wisdom, the gift of a word of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of distinguishing of spirits, encouragement, contribution, leadership, mercy, all of these are laid out for us in 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. God gave you the exact measure of that gift that he wanted to give. For all of us that may think, well, I wish I had that gift. Like, are you sure? Because God wished that you would, like, believe that he gave you the exact gift that you wanted to have. And you go, well, where's that? Okay. 1 Corinthians 12. Come up on the screen. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as God wills. And then in verse 18, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. So now we've got to start going, hold up. There's a humility here that comes with the gifts that we need to grasp onto. Not just gratitude that he give, he's given you something, but humility. If God has arranged all these parts exactly as he wanted in this church, 
much less the broader body of Christ. And we play a role in that broader body of Christ. Why we're not trying to be anybody else except what we sense God calling us to be. Because we believe we have a specific and unique calling as a local church. Inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. That's, that's what we sense we're supposed to do. That's not better than anybody else. Matter of fact, I would say it's worse than a lot of other crafted statements. But we do sense that that's our calling here. Inviting all people to follow Jesus and all of life. We play a role and you play a role in that broader picture. There is a humility here. God has sovereignly gifted each one of us according to his grace and his will. And he did not make a mistake in your gifting. He gave you exactly what he wanted in the apportion that he wanted, and it does not immediately match up with your preferences, or doesn't always immediately match up with your preferences. Did you know that one of my gifts is administration? Well, who doesn't want to show up at Christmas and get socks or a set of luggage? That's what administration feels like, just so you know. I, I, get, I have the gift of organizing, and my children have the gift of unorganizing. <laughs> but that's sometimes what it feels like. It feels like, like the worst, uh, not the worst, the second worst gift that I got at Christmas. The first one was a black sheep. I was given a black sheep in my family, and that was a lot of fun. Loved opening that one. The second worst was um, luggage. Ooh, here's this big box. You're thinking, oh, man, this is going to be good. And you get it open, and it's luggage. And you're like, just for Christmas or just for Tuesday? I don't know what we're doing. Luggage. That's what administration felt like for a long time. But, man, what a gift it is. You know, this church would have never started without that gift. You know, the biggest um, weakness of most church planters is that they can't organize stuff. Like, I don't know that this church gets off the ground. I don't know that I'm not struggling with burnout majorly without a gift of administration that God so graciously gave me to be able to organize and put systems together, and systems of care, we call them, together. I don't, I, that's an amazing gift. It's a supernatural gift that I would not have on my own. You could see my, my room as a kid, and you would realize that's a supernatural gift. That was not something given to you. But have you considered your gift? The students today, if you have a student in the house, they're taking a spiritual gift assessment, first thing. And I'll, I'll give you the same one, spiritualgiftstest.com. It's free. Spiritual gifts, with plural, test.com. I didn't come up with it. I don't profit from it. It's free. It's decent. I'm not a huge fan of assessments on spiritual gifts because what most people do is they go, oh, well, I'm not really strong in mercy, so I get to be a jerk. Well, I'm not really strong in service, so I'll just watch you guys serve. No, 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 no. It's because it's not your strength. It doesn't mean you can't, you, you, there's, that, that eliminates the call to serve one another, to be merciful to one another. So take the test. I think it's great. It's the only way I would have known that I'm gifted in administration. It's the only way I would have taken the risk to start exercising a gift of prophecy or a gift of teaching. 
It's the only way I would have known, and it's a great start, but it isn't everything. You have a gift. Secondly, your gifts have a purpose. Look at it in 1 Timothy, nope, not 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, again, right here in verse 10, right here, right? Each has received a gift, just as you have, use it to serve one another. That purpose for your gift is for someone else. That's why I've come to really enjoy and love a gift of administration, because it's not for me. It's to me, but it's not for me. Your gift is to you, but it's not for you. It's for someone else. And if you hoard it, O golems of the grove, other people suffer. Peter says that we are given these gifts to serve one another. Paul uses similar language all throughout the New Testament. I'm going to read some. You don't have to go there. I just want to read it to prove a point. It's everywhere. Ephesians 4 And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 14, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, what then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn. You got a hymn? You got a lesson? A revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation, let all things be done for building up. And in the spiritual gifts passages, there again is humility, not even assumed, but explicitly throughout all of these passages. Friends, we must be motivated by love for others and the deployment of our spiritual gifts. This idea of building up is to construct a building. The blueprints have been given to us in the scriptures He's given you particular gifts. There's there's an architect on site. There's a construction manager on site. There's someone who really is good at framing. There's someone who's really good at sheetrock, but they're not usually the same people. There's someone who's really good at finishing uh, carpentry work. They're not usually the same. Someone is coming together and managing that whole thing and going, we got to build this thing up. It's going to start here, it's going to end there, and here's the plan to get there. But it's going to take everybody on site to use the gifts they have to be able to build up this body. But when you call in for sick too often, you start to believe that they don't need me, and we start to believe that we don't need you, and that's simply not true. Building up in the scriptures is not just this idea of constructing something, but it's also this idea of encouragement, of using your gift to mature so that we can both mature in the process. It is the edification of the body of Christ. It doesn't say to prop up. It says to actively build up. That means we all need to be built up. We all have an active work to give to one another. Um, We have got to use, we can use what God has given us to build ourselves up, most of us, Many of us, if you've been in church for any length of time, um, you've been around gifted leaders that use their gifts to build themselves up. And that's wounding and it's difficult. I know know this because when I've assessed other church planters, every single one of them without fail have church hurt. Every single one of them are convinced that the leadership that they've been under should not be the leadership that they multiply. On some level or another, it tells us 
we're all imperfect. It also tells us we're all walking with a limp on some level or another. It also tells us that God is not done with us yet. If we would believe and if we would plow in hope, not building ourselves up, but building other people up, considering what they need regardless of the cost. So I would just ask the question, don't you want to live a life that's got a little edge to it? Don't you want to live a life that's got a little risk to your Christianity? If you don't, you're going to get bored and walk away from Jesus. And I, I can say this, if you want to live a life that's got a little risk and a little edge, you're not going to die. You might lose some things immediately. You cannot do that without exercising your gift for the sake of someone else. I'll give you an example. I mentioned that one of my gifts is prophecy. That doesn't mean I get to tell the future. It does mean that sometimes in my prayer time or just spontaneously, I have to say something to someone. And that is just, I got to tell you, not comfortable. Some of you actually are recipients of some of that. I've walked up to, to, to some people and be like, hey, I, I got concerns for you. Hey, I was praying for you today. Take it or leave it. This is what I sense the Lord saying. Whoop. Okay. I remember one time being in Starbucks. I've told this story many times. Since that, like, I was, watch, I was there studying, and I watched this, this man, and he was an athletic man, and, like, had coaches, like, coaches stuff on, like, the old coach shorts from, like, the 80s, like, he had them on, and, like, a, he had his shirt tucked in, like, he was a coach. And his son was quadriplegic in a wheelchair. He was just spending time with his son at Starbucks. And I just thought, here's a man who didn't envision this for his life. And all of a sudden, since that the Lord say, hey, I want you to go tell him that I'm proud of him. No. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to. That feels awkward. This is Starbucks. I don't know if you know this, Lord. I was just leaving. <laughs> Anytime I've ever sent something like that, it's been inconvenient. I can make all the excuses in the world as not to do it. So I walked over to the man and I said, hey, I just want you to know, uh, God, God's really proud of you. Okay. <laughs> and like, had that little tension and like in true coach fashion, he goes, yeah, thanks a lot. And I was like, okay, I gotta go. I was leaving anyways. And he probably was just like shocked and disturbed by what I had to say to him. And I got in the car and I turned on the radio and it was the chase music. I was like, yes, Lord, I hear you. You're chasing me to be obedient even when I don't understand fully what you're doing. And it doesn't have to be prophecy. It doesn't have to be anything like that. It could be, you know, I'm called to serve. I don't really know what that looks like yet. We people show up this morning. I'm here early. I'd like to serve. Say what now? God bless you? What a gift. If I mess it up, so what? What if what, I come, what, if what comes out of my mouth isn't exactly what you intended for them to hear? Yeah. That's okay. That's why he's using fallen, broken people to do his will on the earth. It's imperfect. What if I just keep it to myself? Oh, that's the thing I'm scared of the most. And I pray you would be too. Because you know the thing about the giver of the gift? 
is that he can pause that generosity anytime he wants and be completely justified. Those who are responsible with a little will be given more. And God could withdraw his presence and never speak to me again if I'm stingy with his word. And he'd be completely justified. And I'm terrified of that. I don't want to live a life that's silent with the Lord or distance from him. I want to be obedient. I want to sense his presence. I want to follow him no matter what it costs me, no matter what relationship might get super awkward and weird. Because I don't want that one to be awkward and weird. And that intimacy depends on my faithfulness with him. Not my relationship, but my intimacy with him depends on my faithfulness to the Lord. So friends, he didn't make a mistake in his gifting for you. He wants you to use it in the building of others up. And so I wonder, who's missing out on what you have to give them if you withdraw or opt out? There's someone in your life that you need to be risky for, and they're waiting. They need it. They need the edification that you, if we believe in Acts 17, have been sent here to give at this moment, at this time. Like I, I saw somebody at Garner State Park this last couple of weeks. What are you doing in Garner State Park? Other than I am starting to believe that God is starting to intersect our paths more often and more frequent for me to start having a coffee with you so I can just go, hey, dude, I know that like our boys played baseball together long ago, but maybe the Lord's up to something. Why else would he connect our path at the Frio, five hours away from home, of all the places that we could have gone on vacations, of all the times, if I believe that he sent us to this place and this time for these purposes, then my goodness, something's up here. He might miss out if I withdraw. I might miss out, even worse. You have a gift. Your gifts have a purpose. And finally, your purpose is stewardship. We'll finish with this. As each has received a gift, in verse 10, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The idea here is that God has given you a jewel, a diamond of grace, and it's varied. Every time you look at a diamond, right? Ever looked at a diamond in a while? I, like I got engaged long ago, but I do remember going shopping for that engagement ring and being like, holy moly, it's what? How much is that? It's so tiny. Oh, but it's got good clarity and good quality and good cut and blah, 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 blah. I don't know what you're saying. Just convince me that this is the right one and we'll go with it. This is a token of my love. It's going to be pure, but very small. <laughs> I remember thinking about that and, and, and bringing that to, to the forefront for this week and going like, that's exactly what God has given you. He has given you a beautiful gem that he wants you to steward, you don't own it, you manage it for the good of other people. Um, like my son has been watching a lot of Dude Perfect like forever, I would say lately, but it's really just forever. And uh, recently they put out a new video and it was like uh, the mining competition, anybody seen Dude Perfect? Anybody's uh, subscriptions go off on Dude Perfect in your life like mine? Great, I'm the only one. But on Dude Perfect, they're going out and they're mining and there's this little like, competition and they're going out under the earth and they're finding really beautiful gemstones. 
of quartz and amethyst and all sorts of different things that you and I are going like, that's under the earth? It's so beautiful. Sometimes I sense our gifts are buried under the earth. And we need to go down and we need to bring them out and we need to steward them and show them the kind of gracious God that we have as we, as we steward his varied grace and show it off to our friends. That's what those guys are doing relentlessly, without shame, even if they have a little bit. This would have landed if you watched Dude Perfect this last week. We come out of the ground, we show others what God has given us to discover and then to employ to others so that we can show off how good He is, how gracious our God is, not how competent you are. That's not the point. Oh man, that person must believe in a gracious God if they're willing to risk some things for Him. They must believe that He will judge all the earth at the end of all things is near if they're willing to risk their reputation with me by just stewarding God's grace to me. Oh, man, you see the value of God in all of this? Peter saw the value of God. You keep reading, you start to see it. For this, uh, he goes on, uh, whoever speaks is one who speaks of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by strength that God supplies. In order, purpose statement, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Though we have a role to play, it is his. And since it's his, and he's given us these gifts, how then will we respond? Let's pray. And as we pray, I want to give two invitations. One, if you've never taken an assessment, spiritualgiftstest.com, and two, and this is going to be the content of my prayer, oh Lord Jesus, May we be a people that aren't scared or exhausted of being connected to other people. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us no, I don't pray that you give us anything, actually. You've already given us all these things. What I do pray is that we would give it all back to you. I pray that we'd relinquish all that we have with open hands and open arms to the body of Christ, to one another, to the church. I pray that we would have a posture of, yes, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll pursue that. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll try that. And yes, Lord, if, if you're a generous God, I'll be generous too. With my time, with that you've given me and my talents, with that which I treasure, which is all the things. And with the truth that you've given me, may I live open-handed in pursuit of you. So, oh, Holy Spirit, come and help us. It's your spirit. It's you who live in us. 
activate in us a desire that is followed up with risk and courage that is then followed up with attempts. Attempts to glorify and honor you with what we have. And that is our heart. To honor and to glorify you, O our King. It's for your glory and your namesake do we pray. Amen.